So a few months ago, uh, Paul Cornett uh, put together a uh, little luncheon uh, for me uh, to meet uh, Doug Hartman, uh, who is the uh, director of Urban uh, Connections. Uh, Paul serves on his board and thought it might be uh, a good opportunity to learn about a vital uh, ministry in, in our city. Uh, and uh, sure enough, it really was. It was a pleasure to uh, spend uh, some time with Doug and learn about Urban Connections and the great work that they are doing connecting people to the Messiah on the east side of Columbus. And of course, I'm thinking, wow, this might be a really good opportunity uh, for us to both to partner in prayer and in participation and maybe even support, you know. It, uh, God calls us to be a light to the nations and how important it is for us to reach out beyond, uh, not only beyond the walls of Beth Messiah, but even beyond uh, uh, the local Jewish community. Uh, very, very important for us to be uh, a blessing in that way. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, Doug is here today with his family and co-workers and, and you saw the big display uh, and so on. We, today uh, we're going to hear a little bit from, uh, from Doug. We want to receive an offering uh, for them uh, today and uh, you can make a check out to Urban Connections and that. Uh, they'll all be here for the uh, Oneg, for the luncheon, where you can get to know them better and, uh, and what a, a blessing it is uh, to have uh, Doug, you and your family and, and ministry uh, here with us today. Doug? Well, good morning. It is really an honor and a privilege to be here this morning to be able to share a little bit about Urban Connections and our neighborhood with you. Um, I wanted to start uh, just by reading a, a short passage in the scripture. Um, this is from Psalm 113. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the, on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and the princes, princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. This psalm to me is a picture of God on his throne, right? He's exalted above the nations, above all creation. He is the Melech HaOlam, right? The king of the universe. Um, but I also notice in passages like this, uh, in the scriptures where God is shown exalted, ruling from his throne, that he rules in a way that is ever conscious of the poor and the marginalized of his world. He identifies with the poor, the fatherless, the widow, in his rule. Those two things are not separate. The two things in this passage are intricately connected, right? He is shown on high, and the next minute, he's with the, the widow and the poor, lifting them from the dust heap. Psalm 68 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sits, he sets the lonely in families, and he leads out prisoners with singing. As God is exalted in the scriptures, he stoops down, right? That's what Psalm 113 says. He stoops down to the broken, embracing the marginalized, uh, the forgotten people in society, lifting them up, delivering them from their brokenness. We serve a God who intervenes, amen? We serve a God who intervenes. It's who he is. When God is confronted with our rebelliousness and our sin and the destruction that we can make of our world, God intervenes. He steps in. Psalm uh, 12 says, Because the poor are despo despoiled, because the needy groan, I will rise up, says the Lord. I will place them in the safety for which they belong. They long. And Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord, this is a famous passage, we all know this, Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. God intervenes. He steps in. And the thirst of the psalmists and the prophets and all the people over all the years is finally quenched when God steps in, when God intervenes. When Yeshua came, that divine redemptive pattern reaches its zenith. God stepped in. One of the things that I have always been struck by it. I've been doing this for a little while now. Um, I started when I was just out of college uh, in our neighborhood. And one of the things that has 
always stuck out to me when I read the scriptures is the kind of friends that Jesus had. To his contemporaries, the people Jesus uh, attracted and welcomed in his ministry were a scandal. They were conspicuous. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was known for hanging out with sinners, right? Disreputable people, irreligious people. He, was, he even amazed his own disciples at time, and they started to give him grief about it. Why, why are we hanging out with these people? These people are sinners. Why are you letting this woman, this scandalous woman, touch you? Why are you doing this, Jesus? And he, he would kind of quip, right? He, he would kind of say, well, it's not the healthy people that need a doctor. It's the sick people that need a doctor. I'm here for the sick people, right? I'm here for the marginalized. I'm here for the, the sinners, the women and men that we ignore and try to avoid. That's, I'm here for them. The sick people are the ones who need a doctor. One of my, uh, one of my favorite Bible scholars is a man named Richard Bauckham. I don't know if any of you have heard of him before. Um, he argues that Jesus goes out of his way to bring into the sphere of God's eschatological grace the destitute and the marginalized of all kinds, including disabled beggars, lepers, demoniacs, prostitutes, and, he says, reminding us that economic status isn't the only criterion for marginality. Very Bauckham phrase. Rich tax collectors and the chronically sick and wealthy families. In Yeshua, the king had come, right? He had come to his people and set up his rule, set up his kingdom, and that's what it looked like. Jesus was a sacrifice for our sin, the sacrifice for our sin, but he was also establishing a pattern, I believe, for his followers after him. He lived in a redemptive way, amen? He lived in a missional way, and that commitment compelled him into the company of people that are irreligious or marginalized, as we can say in a more uh, PC term, sinners. Jesus went to them, found ways to connect with them, and shared the message and the power of the kingdom. I was struck as in our readings this morning from Numbers uh, 14, right? Rahab the prostitute was there. It's all over the place in the scriptures. Rahab was there in the passage in the, in the New Covenant in Luke. Uh, the blind beggar, right? It's all over the place in the scriptures. Jesus intentionally went in ways to connect with people that were were on the, on the margins that no one paid attention to. And Urban Connections is an attempt to follow that pattern. It's an intentional effort to embrace a marginalized community. And the Near East Side of Columbus, if you're familiar with it, has been ignored for decades and decades. Um, people, people, there are some of our neighbors that have lived in the neighborhood, uh, and they can remember when I-70 was cut through our neighborhood, and they cut it in half. And people had to walk across a huge trench. If you ever walk, uh, drive through downtown there, uh, people had to walk across this huge muddy trench to get to school because their school was on the other side of that huge trench. There, the schools, when, when we moved down there, the schools were falling apart. The public places were falling apart. Thankfully, there's been some investment in, in things like that by the city recently. Um, but our neighborhood has been ignored and marginalized for for decades and decades and decades. And Urban Connections is an attempt to follow that pattern that Jesus had. So this morning, I just came here to invite you to join into that process. It's um, something that you can do no matter what, what skill level. We need people that are cooks. We need people that can read to kindergartners and first and second and third graders. Uh, we tutor in the schools, as, the, as was mentioned. Um, there's a couple different schools that we work with. So we just want to invite you into that process. Uh, we, need, we need people on the ground. We need volunteers and helpers. We need financial champions, obviously. Ministries like ours always need financial champions. Um, we need people to pray for us. So we just want to invite you into that process and um, pray that you know, this could be a, something that grows into a fruitful partnership. So thank you. So how long have you been on the uh, east side of Columbus? The first time I was ever in my neighborhood was uh, 1998, and I moved in uh, the following year. So I have lived there uh, for almost 20 years. 20 years. Uh, and uh, so when you got started, what did you do? So uh, <laughs> we got started just as a, kind of a, um, a summer vacation Bible school, if you guys have ever heard of yeah. one of those. Um, uh, so we just started having uh, Bible clubs and things like that for kids, 
and uh, working with them. Um, we had to fix up the place that we uh, use as a ministry center and um, all that and just started to try to connect with our neighbors and things. And uh, there's a lot of our ministry that is birthed out of uh, being good neighbors, loving our neighbors, the people that are next to us. Right. So, so you made like uh, connections with some uh, schools. Is that mm-hmm. right? Right. Eventually, yes, we were able to make connections with schools and work with them. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of, it was kind of like being a pioneer, you know, going into an area where really uh, you were uh, paving a, a new path and, and getting to know the people around you, discovering the needs and yes. moving forward. In, in some sense, yes. Yeah. In a, if you could say that modestly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. And uh, now you say we. Mm-hmm. So we is who? Well, uh, it's a collection of... Um, a collection of different people that have come together. Um, Kathy, my coworker, is here. She and her family have lived in the neighborhood uh, almost as long as I have, um, and she's been on staff with us. Brooke, who was in the video, uh, is the chair of our board. She and her husband and their family live in the neighborhood. Um, but we have volunteers from all over the place. One of the things that uh, we are a non-denominational organization. We work with um, uh, followers of the Messiah from all different, all different walks of uh, faith and, and things. So that's something that we very intentionally do. Is Great. Doug, are you married? I am, yes. My wife and family are here with us. Why don't you introduce yes, your family? Yes, my wife, Jill, us. is here. And uh, those are my two daughters, Sophie and Anna. All right. They wanted to stay in here with us. Isn't that great? Right. So, you know, uh, it says on your literature, our core values, hope. Justice, incarnation, opportunity. I mean, uh, we like those things, uh, you know? Uh, And so we're really glad that you're here today. So, Doug, thank you for being with us and uh, introducing us to such a vital work. And uh, uh, we're going to pray for you right now. Lord, uh, God, uh, we uh, pray for Urban Connections. Lord, and we pray for Doug and Jill and Kathy and their families and and these people have made a commitment not just to uh, uh, travel down once in a while to the east side, uh, but to uh, live there, make a difference there, Lord. And God, we thank you how you have used them in such a great way incarnationally, you know, being Yeshua in the neighborhood, uh, being a light in the neighborhood. We thank you, Lord, that over these years, God, uh, uh, people have come to know the Lord, uh, people's lives have been dramatically changed. Lord, we thank you for this great work, this, uh, the faithfulness of uh, Doug and everyone, Lord, and uh, uh, God, uh, may you continue to bless them, bless their families, Lord, and may they continue to see uh, a fruit. We pray, Lord, for the east side of Columbus. We pray, Lord, right now for uh, uh, people in need uh, in that part of our city. Lord, we intercede on behalf of them, Lord. We pray, God, yes, that people would come to know the Lord. We pray, Lord, that uh, people's lives would be changed, would be, uh, would be transformed, Lord. Uh, and God, we pray all of that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Great. Great to have you with us. All right. Well, I just want to say a few words uh, this morning uh, from uh, uh, where we left off last time in the book of Genesis uh, in uh, thinking about uh, Isaac. So, you know, uh, in the book of Genesis, in uh, chapter 26, this is really the Isaac story. It's kind of interesting in that the majority of uh, Breshi, the majority of the book of Genesis, is about Abraham and Jacob, right? And their, and their families. Uh, when you think about it, you know, when you uh, look in uh, chapter 37, for example, where it talks about the story of uh, uh, Joseph, you know that Joseph story? It's the longest story in Genesis. But the very first verse says, these are the generations of Jacob, and, and so it's really the story about the sons of Jacob. And then, uh, so that's, you know, that, that goes a long way. And then, of course, uh, as you saw last week, as we learned last week, that uh, we're introduced now to the, you know, Abraham dies, 
And now, you know, Jacob and Esau struggling in the womb, and we talked, we talked about that. But there's very little just about Isaac. What we know about Isaac generally is how Abraham took him up the mountain for the sacrifice. We know about his birth. Uh, and then we know about him in relationship to Jacob and Esau. So generally speaking, what we, when we think about Isaac, we think about his relationship to Abraham uh, and we think about Jacob and Esau. Very little is said about himself, except in this chapter. In this chapter, chapter 26, is about Isaac. And we learn, uh, we learn some things uh, about Isaac himself that hopefully will serve as an encouragement uh, uh, to us all. Okay? So it says here there was a famine in the land. But notice it says at the beginning here, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So right away, we're supposed to remember what happened to Abraham, right? Uh, uh, the text, as I like to say always, goes out of its way to remind us about the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. Well, you know what happened in the famine in the days of Abraham. God makes a great promise to Abraham. It's this fantastic moment. And the next thing you know, he goes down to Egypt. He throws, his, he throws his wife under the bus. And it's a whole mess. And God has to get him out of the whole thing, right? Remember that from like years ago when we were back in chapter 12, right? Uh, and, uh, and so we're reminded of that, that Abraham went down to uh, Egypt, right? Uh, when there was a famine in the land. Uh, and then we're also reminded in this chapter, because it's about Gerar and King Avimelech, that uh, this happened to Abraham again, right? You can read it in the 20th chapter of Genesis. So when we come to this chapter, uh, we're supposed to remember what happened in chapter 12 and in chapter 20, about two times. Uh, there, there's a famine. Abraham goes to uh, a foreign uh, uh, place, both times, you know, he says, this is my sister. And in both cases, he, uh, in trying to, in, in knowing the covenant and trying to uh, do things on his own, he almost blows the whole thing. Remember, that was the message then, if you remember, back in chapter 12 and then in chapter 20. Abraham, he knows that he's supposed to have a child with Sarah. And so in trying to uh, figure out how to protect Sarah... On his own, he practically blows the whole thing. And God, by his faithfulness, gets him out of it. Right? Okay. So now, now we're here in chapter 26. And I'm going to say the first thing is, is boy, famines must have been like uh, an, uh, not an unusual thing. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. God sends Abraham uh, and, you know, uh, well, Abraham and Sarah to this land that is not an easy land, not an easy place, right? And this is going to be the, this is the promised land, you know, flowing with milk and honey and so on. Well, you know, if you've been to Israel, there's, you know, it depends where you go, right? If you go like north of Jerusalem, he's using Jerusalem as the line of demarcation there, which a lot of people like to do. Um, I, <laughs> if you go north of Jerusalem, it's, it's nice if, if you go in the wintertime or the fall or, you know, thing, or the early spring, it's green and lush and very nice. Isn't that right, Dawn? Very, very nice, right? But if you go south, and even in the summer, you know, that's where you have Canaret or the Sea of Galilee. It's like you have resorts all around it now, you know, and, and it's very nice up there. There's some beautiful, like, national parks in Israel, uh, in the northern part of the of the state of Israel that are beautiful with all different kinds of like flowers and and growths and uh, you know and trees and nature and it's beautiful beautiful brooks and water flowing but you go south you are like on the moon okay in certain parts uh, where uh, it is a, a desert it is desert. Uh, and, uh, uh, and not a whole lot of people live in a number of those places. And you go from um, uh, town to town, you leave the environs of a moshav uh, or a, a village or a city, and you're like in the middle of... You better have gas in that car. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and uh, it's uh, very difficult 
uh, uh, to live down there. Okay? So what's interesting is that if you know the story of Abraham, he basically settled in Beersheba, which is in the south, which is in the desert, which is in a difficult place. So it is very interesting that when our ancestors were living in the promised land, they were not living like this uh, life of luxury, that they've, they've reached the promised land, they're in the land. God you know, uh, told Abraham, leave Haran there and leave, leave her the Chaldees, Haran, go down into Canaan. Uh, and basically it's a land uh, that it's hard to grow stuff, uh, uh, hard to live, but this is the promised land, Right? Uh, so again, it just goes to show you it's that same message. It's just like when our ancestors left Egypt and they were freed from the bondage in Egypt. Freedom was in a really rough place, right? Freedom was not easy, but freedom was with God, see? Uh, and that was really the story even with Abraham and the story here with Isaac, that to be in the right place doesn't necessarily mean that it's an easy place, right? But it's the place where we dwell with God. Uh, we dwell with God, all right? I, okay, I, which we could also, you know, in, uh, in hearing what uh, Doug was saying, I, the, the east side of Columbus, not an easy place, but a place of blessing when God is present and, and that work, you know, wherever it may be, wherever it may be, right? Okay, so we see now there was a famine in the land besides the previous one that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Avimelech, king of the Philistines. I can't help but say that when it says here, king of the Philistines, they're actually, in Abraham's day, they're actually, now you've got to buckle your seatbelts for this, okay? They really weren't the Philistines yet, like the David Philistines, those same Philistines, okay? Uh, but they're called Philistines uh, because they dwelt in the place where the Philistines were, were to dwell. So uh, we might say, boy, th th you know, this Avimelech was kind of a nice Philistine. Okay, but he, you know he was like a predecessor of the Philist of the Philistines of the Philistines. Okay, just that's sort of like an FYI. Take the Torah course at MSI, and you'll understand all that. Okay, all right. Uh, now Gerar, what's the story on Gerar? Well, uh, it's almost it's on it. It's way down south, way down south. Okay, like past the five cities that would have been the Philistine cities. You know, it's past that. It's on the way to Egypt. Okay, that's important to remember in this story. Abraham went to Egypt. God tells Isaac, whoa, don't go to Egypt. And so he goes as far as this place, Gerar. Okay? The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I will tell you. Interestingly enough, of all three patriarchs, Isaac may be the least in terms of, his, of, uh, of what he says and the profound things he does, but he's the only one who never left the land. Right? Now, you know, Abraham went down to Egypt, uh, and uh, Jacob went to Mesopotamia. Isaac never in his whole life left. Okay? There you go. All right. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Again, fascinating stuff here. All these lands. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and uh, it kind of reminds us of the passage back in Genesis chapter 15, where we read there that the covenant was the, the land covenant was to stretch all the way uh, from Egypt to Mesopotamia, you know, uh, the river of Egypt uh, to the Euphrates. Uh, and so here the statement is made: all these lands, so the lands of the Philistines. The land all the way from Egypt all the way up, you know, to the, the north country. Uh, and, uh, and so God tells him this, that I'm going to be, God says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you and your descendants. Uh, and uh, just like I swore to your father Abraham. And in this chapter, there's a lot of times where it talks about Abraham, Abraham and and the promise that God made to your father, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac, the relationship of Abraham and Isaac. And so God is comforting Isaac that even though there's a famine, I'm telling you, don't go down to Egypt. I will provide for you where you are. Don't, in a way, it's don't go back to Egypt, right? And in another, because Abraham had gone down to Egypt during a famine. 
Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go to where you think you're going to find what you want and what you need. Stick with me in this land, and I will provide for you. Okay? That's what God tells Isaac. All right? And then he says, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give you descendants, uh, give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So he reiterates the promise that he had made to Abraham to him to now to Isaac. Now, now given directly to Isaac, right? Uh, and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Don't leave the land, right? Because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Well, we talked about that already, if you remember, a few weeks ago when we gave the eulogy for Abraham when he died. So we're going to move beyond that now. So Isaac lived in a, a Gerar, okay? Uh, now, it doesn't mean, even in Hebrew, it's very clear, he doesn't live there permanently, but he's dwelling there in this land of Gerar, Okay? When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, Ugh, just like his father, right? For he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. And it came about when he had been there a long time that Avimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and, and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Okay. Then Avimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. Okay. And Avimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Well, if you go back and you read uh, chapter 20, it's about 75 years later now. So evidently, now this Avimelech is most likely not the very same king. Maybe it's a son or grandson. But evidently that interaction when the elder Avimelech had this dream and God spoke to him, evidently this became, this became known because this king Avimelech says, oh, great harm would have come to us if anyone had taken your, your wife. And the story is given to us a little bit in shorthand, you know, because we have chapter 12 and because we have chapter 20. We kind of get the idea of, uh, of what's going on. And Isaac, he ends up doing the same thing, trying to uh, protect uh, in his own power, in his own way, and it almost causes uh, you know, a, a great and terrible uh, thing uh, uh, to happen. Evidently, uh, Isaac uh, has forgotten or has not taken into consideration what God had told him because he was afraid. The text is real clear here. Isaac was afraid. Uh, and so in his fear, he acted out in the wrong way, in his fear. And evidently, he didn't, again, he either did not remember or take into consideration when God said, I will be with you here in this famine and all of that. I will be with you. Okay, you don't have to go down to Egypt. But he became afraid, and in his fear, he did the wrong thing. And it almost caused a great disaster. Boy, can't we just all relate to that? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I don't even have to point it out uh, that... Um, uh, living uh, our lives most certainly I, 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 with, with the Lord is not easy for, for anyone, you know? I, sometimes we, we live a certain way. We may live a very normal life, uh, come to know the Lord at a young age and do all the right things, but you know that, that uh, all is not what it looks like on the outside and that, that everybody has struggles. I don't know Anybody, I've said this before, I don't know anybody with zero struggles, uh, zero re, you know, regrets or, uh, or anything like that. Uh, but for others, it's more obvious and, and known and, 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 and deeper. And the word here is, is, is that Yeshua himself said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, 
right? And we never should run to Egypt. Running In the Bible, running to Egypt is always a bad thing, okay? Except in one, except in one place, right? You know what I'm talking about? Right, yeah, okay, and, and when, when Yeshua and his family went to, Egypt, went to Egypt, and then they came back. That's another story. But for the Israelites, and for us, running to Egypt is not a good idea, all right? It's always about going, in, going back to slavery. And of course, the reason that we have it in Genesis is to look forward to what we read about in Exodus about Egypt, you know? and the Israelites going into Egypt and being stuck there for so long and then coming out. Um, and so it's very important uh, that, we understand, that we understand what's going on here. Uh, now, the other thing that's going on here is the importance of the land. Don't leave the land. I will bless you in the land, and I will give you these lands. The land is a very important part of the promise of God uh, to this very day. Uh, and, uh, and we need to remember that, right? That uh, uh, the, the land as we read it here is the very same promised land and uh, very, very important that, um, that we dwell in it in a certain way. But there's a, there's a really great lesson uh, in here. We'll see if we get to it this week about how to live in the land. Okay, all right. So we see that... Uh, uh, once again, uh, here, the king himself basically saves the day. Avimelech saves, saves the day. In a way, you know, Israel is called to be a light to the nations. Here, uh, and a blessing to the nations. Here, the nation, the nation is a blessing to Israel, right? The king basically says, no, Isaac, uh, you take your wife, get out of here, Right? Uh, and, uh, and the king saves the day. And, and it's great because you see these episodes in the land of sometimes Israel being a blessing to the nations and other times the nations being a blessing to, uh, to Israel. Okay? Very good. By the way, there's another uh, great, um, well, there's another great lesson in that, you know, in our own lives and the way we dwell uh, in this world with people. We're called to be a blessing to people, but sometimes we are blessed from the most unlikely sources and the most unlikely places and the most unlikely people. And so it's very important for us to always have our eyes open to see what God is, what God is doing, uh, you know, all the time. In verse 12, Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich, and continued to grow richer until he became uh, very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines uh, envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Avimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. The valley of Gerar is outside of Gerar. So he's in, he's in the uh, land that God had given Abraham. But you shouldn't think of valley as like, oh, the green valley. or It was an ugly valley, okay? It's, okay, as valleys go, okay? Uh, and so the, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given him, given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there was a well of Mayim Chaim, flowing water, living waters, okay? uh, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. And he moved away from their you know, uh, contention and quarreling. <laughs> there you go. And he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So Rehoboth means like uh, wide open spaces. In, in our vernacular, it would be like wide open spaces, okay? Uh, and uh, in a way, it would be like wide, like a, in, 
the way it's used today would be like a wide boulevard, <laughs> you know, uh, rachav in Hebrew, like street, you know, uh, a broad way, you might say, in the truest sense of the, of the term. But here it means like a big space, okay? Uh, and that's what it means here. That's why it says, he has made room for us, all right? And we shall be fruitful uh, in, uh, in the land. All right. So here, uh, it's very interesting. We, we learn a lot about Isaac in this, in this passage. We learn a lot about Isaac. So uh, the king says, move out of here. Isaac goes to this valley. And if you go back to the 20th chapter, you see that Avimelech gave Abraham whatever he wanted and, and, and uh, you know, whatever land around the area that he wanted. Well, evidently, Abraham uh, and his servants dug wells. And they belong to Abraham. This is Abraham's son. Now, wells is not like uh, just uh, go out in the back uh, and get some water out of the well. These were uh, essential uh, in, at, in that economy, in that world uh, at that time. These wells were essential for living. But we see that the Philistines or the people from Gerar, whoever they were, they stopped them up. And they, and, they, and they basically say to Isaac, keep moving. Isaac could have said, no, these wells belong to my father and I want them. Okay? So, it's, so what, does, uh, what does Isaac do? Isaac moves a little farther out. He finds a well and he realizes that, look at God is blessing us with these wide open spaces. And here, now, we can have a well. Now, if you've been to uh, Israel, I really don't have time to say this, but I'll say it anyway, uh, okay? That if you've been to Israel and you've been to the Negev, right? Uh, like, you always got to bring a lot of water with you. Like, like, bottled water is a big commodity if you're uh, uh, in Israel on a, on a tour of the land, right? Uh, and so, uh, these wells are very important because if you dug down far enough, there's water, Right? And do you know that to this day, I, um, uh, I have been to a moshav uh, about, a moshav is like a, like a little village, little village, uh, about 60 miles or 50 to 60 miles north of Eilat, which is the southern tip, and right uh, along the, hugging the border of Jordan. That is in the middle of nowhere, okay? But there's this little town. And you're go, you're, it's like you're on the moon, and then suddenly you're in this town, and there's, some, there's streets, and there's buildings, and it's kind of like green, and, you know, and all of that. And then you see, as far as the eye can see, I think we would call them hothouses. Is that what I, you know what I mean? Like when you grow stuff inside. Greenhouse, you would know. You would know, right. Green, greenhouses. But like they're... As far as you can see, right? Because what the Israelis have been able to do was they've learned how to irrigate in the desert, right? So that water, they've gotten water out of the desert, right? From deep down and learned how to irrigate. And that's uh, the big thing that they grow are peppers. Peppers are huge in uh, southern Israel, growing, growing peppers, as well as all kinds of like flowers and plants. Israel 2020, my friends. Okay? All right. We may uh, visit uh, uh, one of these places, if not that very one I'm describing. Anyway, uh, and so these wells were very important. But what do we learn about Isaac? We learn Isaac was uh, uh, a, con a, a conciliatory kind of person. Isaac did not demand those wells, but he moves, for, he moves forward and he, finds, and he finds land, he finds space, and God blesses them. Now, I'm just going to say this, and, and I'm not going to use any specific in this story to make this point, but just like a big general point. And the big general point is, is that in Israel, you see that you can have Philistines and you can have sons of Abraham dwelling together, I, I, you know, and I think I'm just going to say that, okay? 
Uh, and I think that that's uh, a kind of important. It's sort of like, uh, you might say, a vision or, or, or a goal to be reached. Certainly, uh, the complexities of Israel in the year 2018 are very different from the complexities of life 5,000 years ago here. So you can't make a comparison. You can't make a comparison other than simply to say, isn't it amazing how people who are natural enemies can live in peace? And God blesses everybody in it, you know? And it's amazing how he blesses Isaac because, wait a minute, there's a famine. If there's a famine, how is it that he's reaping and sowing and blessing and becomes rich and, and, uh, and with flocks and, and all of that? Because even in the famine, God blessed him. And isn't that also true of us? We can be living in a famine, in a wilderness, and we can be at peace with the peoples around us. And God will bless us in the midst of the famine. Wow. You know, we need to really take that to heart and be encouraged, you know, and be encouraged. Because God promised that he would be with us just as he was with them. And so in whatever famine or wilderness or issue you're in, hmm? You, you, you know, there's no better place to be in than in the presence of God because he provides room. You know, he makes the way for us. Okay? So we see Isaac had a very interesting personality and a demeanor that uh, was one of, uh, was conciliatory. Uh, and God blessed him. All right? It's amazing when you read the commentaries. They're always down on these guys. He was a coward. He was timid. He was... I say, give him a break, okay? All right. And by the way, you know, that, I'm sorry, I just can't help it, but think of this. That sometimes, I'm just thinking of, sometimes we are worried about, you know, Isaac had a particular personality that was very different from, and a very different experience than Abraham and Jacob, right? Uh, And isn't it interesting, just like Yeshua, how people years later look at his life and, and draw certain conclusions or judgments that the Bible never does. Isaac is never put down here. The opposite, <laughs> just like Jacob, the opposite. God blesses him even more. It's not, oh, Isaac was this or Isaac was that. No, we see Isaac was a conciliatory person. But so what would all those commentators say about him? So what? And the same is true about you and me. So what? what? What people say. It's what God says. It's what his verdict is. And his verdict is what's in the word of God and not what people around us may think. And so let us not be fearful, uh, but let us just be true to the Lord, you know? Uh, and uh, and uh, because people will always draw wrong conclusions. Remember that, right? But as long as you know who you are, in the Lord. There you go. Okay? All right. So then we see uh, that Isaac departed from there, camped in the valley of Gerar. And, oh, then, yeah, he, uh, we're all the way down to verse 23. That's very good. Okay. So then he went up from there to Beersheba, back to where Abraham had started, so to speak, or ended up, right? And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Avimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, uh, Ahuzath, and Phicol, the commander of the army. Remember him from earlier? And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? See, now, now Isaac seems very sure of himself now, okay? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. And you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done you nothing but good, so, well, sort of, right? And have sent you away in peace. Uh, you know, everything is from the, the point of view of the uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as they say. Uh, you are now blessed of the Lord. 
Then he made them a feast, and they ate and they drank, which is very significant. That means uh, kesher, community, uh, fellowship, you know? Uh, and so at the end of the day, you s- and in the morning, well, the next morning, uh, they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water, and he called it Shiva, like Beersheba, right? Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day, the oath, the oath, you know, the place of the oath, the well of the oath, uh, and, uh, or the well of the promise. Uh, and, uh, and, and so at the end of the day, uh, uh, Isaac is blessed. Isaac is in relationship with the peoples around him in peace. Isaac has water. Uh, Even though Isaac made a bad call early on, it wasn't the end of Isaac. And so neither is it the end of any of you or me, right? Uh, uh, When you receive Messiah into your life, right? As Doug was saying, you know, uh, who was attracted to Yeshua? Uh, uh, sinners, right? Uh, uh, people that were, generally speaking, not attractive, you know? But these are the people who came to Yeshua. These are the people that, 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 he, uh, that he met. And he re- their lives were redeemed. They made bad choices, certainly. Real bad ones, perhaps. But their lives were redeemed. And at the end of the day, there is the blessing of God in those who are redeemed. And so... I'm going to uh, uh, read just one little thing here in Luke, chapter 15. Oh, oh, it's better than I thought it was. Okay. Uh, In uh, Luke, chapter 15, uh, that I find absolutely precious and that relates to this concept uh, of we may mess up at one point, but God will redeem and, you know, and, and with taking into consideration his conciliatory attitude, uh, God blessed him mightily, and Isaac was really a man of peace, a real man of peace, okay? So it says in Luke 15, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. That is a great verse. I just, just, just that verse. It's a great verse. Yeshua didn't go and, like, knock on their doors and say, Hey, uh, there's going to be a meeting. And there's going to be food and everything. So come on out. No. He, they come to him. They found something attractive about Yeshua. Right? Uh, the people that are marginalized. Right? The, the tax gatherers and the sinners are coming to listen to him. He's the holy man. He's the Bible man. Right? Uh, but they're coming to listen to him. Right? Uh, and so... Uh, then we see uh, that uh, the, uh, the establishment, right? The Pharisees and the scribes, they're grumbling. What's he doing with these people? You know, uh, this man receives sinners and eats with them? You've got to be kidding me, right? And then what you have in Luke 15 are three stories, right? Right. You have here a uh, lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. You know the son one better than the others, right? A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And Yeshua makes the point that the sheep that was lost, the coin that is lost, the son that is, that, that is lost, you may think are, are lost, but worthy, worthy to be found. And so, you know, we may be the lost sheep, we may be the lost coin, we may be the lost child, the lost person, right? But God loves us so much that he receives us back and, and desires to bless. And I'll just leave it at that. There's many lessons to learn from this chapter. But the point is, is that those who are on the margins are, are brought back in because God loves them so much. And so with Isaac, he messed up, yes, and, and he doesn't stand up against them and say, give me those wells back. They belong to my father. No, he doesn't do that. He, he finds another place. And God blesses him even in a greater way than he could have been blessed if he had demanded those wells. And so let us learn from that. And may we be people 
that when we embrace Yeshua, know that we may be dwelling in a famine, but God is going to give us everything we need in it. We don't have to go to Egypt. God says he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And he indeed does redeem and bless. And Isaac and Rebekah were not a lost cause. God obviously blessed them. And of course, what happens now is what we see is, wow, Jacob and Esau, it's a whole different story, you know, uh, of, uh, of struggle and strife in the family. But we, we get a glimpse of what their father, uh, Isaac, uh, was about. And so with those thoughts, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, God. Uh, it helps us, this will help us, Lord, when we read in the next chapter about the struggle of Jacob and Esau and Isaac. We learn here about Isaac. Like his father, he, he tried to fix a situation in his own power, and, in, and he almost blew it. But Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that even in the land of promise, in the famine, in a foreign area, Lord, you blessed Isaac. Thank you, Lord, that he listened. He did not go down to Egypt. He stayed there. And thank you, Lord, for Avimelech, the foreign king, who basically saves Rebekah's life. Even though he might have been fearful for all of his people, he is a blessing to Israel, to, well, to Isaac, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that we might recognize that you provide blessing from all kinds of places, Lord, that we might not recognize. But, Lord, may we stick with you, and in that famine, bless. Lord, we do pray, God, that uh, if we are this morning living in, a, living in the famine, Lord, I pray that we would discover the well. Lord, I pray we would discover the water. Lord, and even sometimes as Messiah followers, it's hard for us to find the water sometimes. And so, Lord, I pray, God, uh, just like the psalmist did in Psalm 42, you know, as the deer pants uh, for water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. And we know, Lord, that that is where, that is where we want to be, Lord, where you are, where the, where the Mayim Chaim is, where the living water is. And we thank you for it in Messiah, Yeshua, and it's in his name we pray, amen.